cliffcentral.com cliffcentral.com um it's it's not often that i get to talk to someone whom i first of all have a lot of respect for both as an author and a man who's been in business for some time but he's also a friend and it's a great pleasure to welcome him to the show today to talk about a new project there's always a new project in the world of music kuzwayo a new project that he's involved in and this is a book which he actually just gave me today to read and i have to tell you um, it's easy. I'm already three quarters through, despite the fact that I've maybe had two and a half hours to read it. And it's the kind of book that I think every person in this country needs to pick up and look at. And I don't say that as some kind of compliment to him. I also don't say it as the kind of thing that I want to give you unnecessary homework for. But it is called South Africa's Promise, Creating the Future We Want by Muzi Kozwayo. And it is a, it's a magnum opus of taking stock of where we are at. And in a beautiful narrative way, he tells the story of how we can get out of the mud that we're in at the moment. So, Muzi, it's always a pleasure to see you. How are you? I'm well, thanks, Gareth. It's also great to see you all the time. Thank you. Thank you. And and listen, I, I meant what I said just now. I don't know if you heard me saying that this book is something we should all be paying attention to. Before we even get into the book, because I can't wait to do that with you, just tell us what you've been up to. A lot of people know you as the advertising man. They know you as the guy who's helped other people build brands, uh, create successes in the marketplace. You've been in South Africa as a as a, a powerful figure in the advertising world for a very long time. Tell us what's been happening and give us an update on how we got to the point where you again decided to put pen to paper, not for the first, second, or even third time, and decide to write something of this scope. Hmm. Well, Gareth, a brand happens in a context. A brand can only be successful if the environment, the soil around it, makes it successful. We talk about provenance, uh, where usually it's brands that come from the same country. Uh, look at BMW, Mercedes-Benz, Audi, or Volkswagen, and Porsche. They come from the same country. We're very famous for our wine industry. So if the country is not working, no brand is going to work. If the country is not working, people will not be able to explore their potential. So what I was thinking about when I was writing the book is a lot of us love South Africa. It's time South Africa loved us back. The mountains, the seas, the forests can't do anything. But what we do in our relationships with one another and how we project ourselves to the world but most importantly, our character as people. We talk of a brand character, the character of South Africa. If that is not right, we're going nowhere. And the question that I'm asking myself is, why should people have to leave the country to explore their potential? Uh, you have a show, The Burning Platform. Everywhere I go, I meet people, or when I talk to people overseas, People overseas talk about the burning platform. They listen to that. South mm. Africans who've had to leave their country that they love, in which they were born, and have to forge new relationships overseas for their children, for themselves, because their country is not fertile. It does not give them the opportunity to explore their full potential. So that's why I said the future we want. So we can live here, love ourselves, and be great participants in the world. So you've, you've done this in a different way to the way that so many people who've proposed a solution to all of our problems. And it's very practical, your book. Uh, so I hope you don't think that I'm, I'm, I'm being, 
uh, less than complimentary about this, but you've done it a different way to everybody else, which I actually appreciate. You've told a story. You've told a story about a young girl called Hakuna, and she goes to see a sage. And this sage is a is a is a, a, a stereotypical wise old man, but he has real insight into how we can make our problems go away, or we can solve them slowly, or we can solve them fast in some cases. And she is a young girl because I think the future, if if I read this allegory correctly, is in the hands of young people, as Madiba said so many years ago. And and she needs the answers, and sometimes these answers are obvious, and sometimes they're really not. The sage helps her to come to these conclusions herself. And in so doing, the reader of this book will hopefully come to those conclusions too. What what arrived in your head first, the story or the practical problems that needed solving? And, and, and how did you put the story together? Yeah. So I used to teach at UCT at the Graduate School of Business. I was a visiting professor there. Prior to that, as a student, I was a lousy student. It took me eight years to finish a three-year degree. Prior uh, getting expelled, failing, and all of those things combined. And not understanding the context. So after that, I used to approach, when I was teaching at UT, I approached the subject with the weakest student in mind. And that is me. So being the weakest person, how do I want the political systems to be understood? How would I, how would I teach it to myself? That is how I approached it. So it's a lot easier when there's an allegory, where somebody is telling a story, then you can have a question and answer situation. Um, Scenario, And that was something that we learned when we were in Marikana as well. We worked in Marikana to bring the peace in Marikana, is ignited. You know, I met a guy, Tony Hollingsworth. Um, it was fascinating. And he talked about marketing causes more than just pushing brand, you know, products for people to eat or drink. And that is, so that's the approach that I took. That let it be a conversation. How do you explain Karl Marx to somebody who is like me? have the conversation between the sage and Hakuna to talk about how irrelevant Karl Marx has become. Because he wrote the Communist Manifesto um, before the first car, 40 years ago. 150 years ago, yeah. It's a long time now. Before the first car was manufactured. When when slave slavery was was free labor, the same Mm -hmm. thing with Adam Smith. So I was thinking of new heroes, and that's what Hakuna is. We need a new hero and who will devise new economic systems that will push 30 million people out of poverty. So when Hakuna goes to the sage, um, she, she looks back at Johannesburg and she sees Hilbra first. And you, you, you're not afraid to go straight to the heart of our problems because in Hilbra we have unemployment, we have poverty, we have xenophobia, we have inequality. Uh, we have the former glory of this place that was the city of gold and the city of promise. And now we have this reality, which is that people are living there in absolute squalor where the rats and, 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 and cats chase each other, uh, rudely in the street, as you put it. Um, that, that's not weak. That is a strong start. And, and it's also a very brave start. It's a start none of our politicians are prepared to make. Do you have, a person in mind when you think of the sage, or is this just the old generation giving us the wisdom that we're, that we're not picking up ourselves? And what kind of people do you reckon are necessary, uh, to, to take up this mantle and run and solve these problems? 
Well, wisdom is timeless. So the sage could be in any, in any generation, speaking to the younger generation. But it's mm. got to appeal to the greatness of young people and of South Africans, of new heroes. They don't have to be young. I mean, Mandela was in his 70s when he became president. You know, a friend of mine used to say, wisdom is not the monopoly of the old, much as bravery is not monopoly of the young. Uh, so we've, there are people, we spoke at um, in Orange Farm recently, uh, and there are 70-year-old people, 70-year-old women there who started a business because she needs a way of, of earning a living. Um, there's somebody else that I met recently who was 71 years old. And she said, you know, I looked at, after I was told to retire, I looked at my life, I said, in the last 50 years or so, I created business contacts, I have assets, and my diary is my asset, and my 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 telephone book is my asset. I'm going to use that. And her business was able to succeed during COVID. So it's appealing to the greatness of South Africans to be the best that they can be, because if they are the best, as the old saying goes, they will lift us with their wings. So that's why it's the South Africa that we want, not what somebody else thinks of, but that we collectively want. I was really hoping you'd just say... I was hoping to that you would just say I'm the sage because I think of you that way. I mean, I've, no. heard, you, I've, I've heard you speak on many things, and and you you you're not afraid to tackle controversial issues. You're not afraid to to dig deep and to solve problems and to get your own hands dirty. Um, you talk in the book about citizen service, and that's something I want to get into in a second. But I interrupted you. We're going to say talking about brave. Well, I was going to say if we don't deal with the problems head on. How do we hope, do we hope to solve them? Mm. When we went to Marigana, we went to, we had to face the killers, people who'd murdered people. Um, and what we discovered, Gareth, was that nobody had ever said to those youngsters, I love you. And the reason why we, I mean, we had a big debate in, in whether we have the sage in the cover or not, an old man or a young person. And the young people in the company, in the organization, Southwest Promise, uh, Sergo, Kaylee, Musanga, uh, Kali, they all said, we want the sage, we want the older person on the cover. And when I thought about it, and the reason what they gave us is because there are so many kids in South Africa who've grown up in fatherless homes. Yeah. So these are the practical problems that we have that we must be courageous enough to deal with probably uh, it's probably foolishness more than, than than wisdom. But if we don't deal with them, we will not be able to create the South Africa we want. So you've you've mentioned that there's an organisation that goes with the book, and we'll we'll talk about that in a minute, because there's a lot more to to this than just another fiction book, which is a philosophy and which has got some practical solutions in it. Um, I mentioned earlier that, that part of the book is citizen service. There are a lot of decisions that South Africa will have to make if we want to make this country great, if we want to turn the tide, if we want to get the the, the, the venal and, and dangerous and corrupt business people, politicians, unions, God knows what else fits into that description. If we want to get them out, there are going to be some very difficult decisions we have to make. And for all of us, that will mean a bit of a sacrifice. But that kind of appeals to me. Um, the, the section on citizen service where the sage says to Hakuna, 
you, you know, it's not, this is not a, a, a state employment scheme where we're trying to create control. Instead, this is a, a, an empowerment scheme where we're actually going to, to let every single South African under the age, I think you said of 30, um, yeah. do something to help build the country and in so doing gain skills and gain qualities and characteristics which they will use in their life going forward. Explain the philosophy behind this because it has come up once or twice in our discussions on the burning platform. And a lot of people like this idea, you know, like national service used to be a thing, but that was of course military and it was used as a, as a weapon to cudgel the enemies of that old regime into, into uh, submission. That's not what you have in mind here. No, no, not in the, in the least. That, so the, the, the purpose of the citizen service is A, it gives you skills that you otherwise would not have had. Um, that's the first thing. But secondly, it's diversity. You get to, to live with people from a certain part of the country that you would otherwise wouldn't never have met. So I grew up in Springs. To this day, Gareth, I'm still fascinated by the sea. When I see the sea, when I'm driving and I lived in Cape Town for years, I stay, I keep quiet and just look out the window looking at the sea. It's amazing. And when one of my older brothers went down to the Eastern Cape, he said, please stop. I just want to be able to put my feet in the sea. And I think he was about, he was 50 and he put his feet in the, his feet in the sea for the first time. Now, wow. give a young person a chance to travel around the world from Johando, let them go work in Durban for six months in another part of the country. And they get to meet new people. They, they, they get to find, to, to get new ideas and they get to know one another and they create friendships there. And so, you know, we talked about this kind of thing at, in Orange Farm and one of the youngsters raised his hand and said, so you suggested we do this for two years. What happens after two years? And my answer to him was, I hope after two years, you would have figured out how you will contribute as a citizen of this country rather than what we're going to give you after two years. How, what you are going to do to help other people have a better life. And in the meeting, I turned around and there's so many things that people don't know. I turned around and said, okay, all you girls keep quiet. We're going to ask only guys, young guys here. Where do you get your first teaspoon? And the one guy raised his hand, he said, from a drawer, Colain, from the drawer. And everybody <laughs> laughed because he never thought that you have to buy a teaspoon. Somebody has to buy a teaspoon. Now, this thing is quite small, but what it basically tells you, there's so many things that we don't think we could do to get ourselves out of poverty. We think that somebody's going to come, and that's been the message, that's going to deliver a gift that's going mm-hmm. to make you successful. It's the same thing that I talk about when people talk about basic in- income grant. I say it's the worst form of exploitation because you're putting money in someone's hand so they can give it to a company instead of yeah. putting it in a pot and stirring the pot so everybody can be successful. Right. Now, what about the idea of, of something which is going to be controversial because, again, politicians have, have pitted themselves against these sorts of ideas. They, there is a control and there is something about giving the companies money and, and keeping the economy exclusive. Um, but, but there's also an element of education where we used to be a country and many of, of the brightest people that I know and who are much older than me before we had a state education, uh, which was worthy of anything. A lot of those people came from faith-based schools and, and you say that this is something we must revive. 
Well, only for the first reason, the first reason being that you can't have Pretoria or Tswane dictating what should happen in Msinga. They're too mm. far, too far removed. I have a friend who speaks perfect Zulu, past Zulu with an A, and Afrikaans with an A. Mm-hmm. And he worked in the, in, in the education department. And he said he struggled to tell the educationists in Pretoria that the kids in Kimberley understand Afrikaans better than Isuzu or English even. That's the, that's the same first thing. I found when I started doing science and chemistry in, in, uh, at, at school, but the first years we did it in mother tongue because it was run by, I went to a church school as well. It was done in the mother tongue. I understood the concepts much better than when I went to varsity to do chemistry and biochemistry. So let the churches, because they're closer to the environment, let them decide the curriculum. Curriculum can't be uniform. And they are in a better position to deliver education than any government bureaucrat ever will. And they're already and there. They were, were, were they're on the ground. They know their community better than anyone else. And they are the community themselves because this is the one thing, you know, we do, we must never forget. We live in a country of people who are, um, they are conservative by and large and they are religious. And this is something which is a positive, not a negative. If you harness it in the right way. Um, and, and all of these people are already probably the most active people in their communities, right? Absolutely, and they understand their communities better, as you said. But Gareth, right. this starts with us understanding that we are not the answer to all people's problems. That right. people are better, you know, they they are better suited to deal with their problems and be humble enough to accept that that you're a government official or that you're any official, but for that matter, doesn't give you any extraordinary powers. That's that's what yeah, this is. is the, this is the hubris of those central planners, right? And the, and the bigger your country and the more diverse your country is, and there's no doubt that we're one of the most diverse countries in the world, the more impossibly stupid it is for people who sit in an office in a bureaucracy to imagine that they can solve everyone's problems. I mean, it's extremely arrogant and, and practically impossible. It is. It is, it is a bit like farming. It's a lot easier when you've got a pen in the hand and in a, in a, in, a, in an air conditioned office. You've mm-hmm. got to hit the ground. If you aren't going to do that, that people who are better positioned to do that, to deal with those problems, to find solutions to those uh, to those problems that they are encountering, in Marikana, Gareth, the most the most evil thing is happening there. So you've got these mines, um, and most of the people who are running the mines, the engineers, even the the, the basic work, is done by people from outside Marikana, because nobody. It, People in Marikana are not given the opportunity to decide how their education should be structured. And so they are in this economy, but they're not active participants. And most importantly, they're not beneficiaries. So, and then they, what does the government do? SLPs. Um, and, and what they then do is they give, uh, they build community halls, they build schools, but there's no tertiary institutions to help these kids work in the industries in which they, 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 they live, among which they live. But let's look at how the high school movement started in the U.S. The farmers realized when the tractor was manufactured, when the tractor was first delivered, that our kids are in trouble. This thing can do, can, can plow the fields, can work on the farm much quicker than our kids ever will. So you guys stop going to the farms, you're going to school. You're now going to high school. 
the only legacy we have is that uh, the summer, particularly in the north, is so long. The summer holidays are long because it was to give the kids an opportunity to work on the fields. But that's yeah. not necessary anymore because the tractor is, is there. Yeah. Now, this thing, so it was the farmers themselves who decided for the education system what it was right for their kids. Look on the other side of the Atlantic. The Europeans did not have that. They continued with their littest way of education. Who has produced more scientists? In terms of numbers, the Americans by far. The yeah. economy, even though they were a colony of the U.S., is much outside of the U.K., they're much bigger now mm. um, because they decided what was, what was important for their own kids. Yeah. Muzi, the, 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 the story, so back to Hakuna and the sage, you, you try to explain things like this, the, the, the future of the economy and what kind of economy we should have in this country. How does the sage explain this to Hakuna in a way that it will be accessible? Um, and first of all, you can explain what that future economy looks like. And, and if you don't mind, also explain how you can, and I don't use, want to use the words dumb down, but how you can make accessible complex concepts because economics shouldn't be as complicated as it is. It shouldn't be as elitist as it is. It's basic mathematics and it's basic supply and demand. And everyone in this country can understand that because they have to budget on a daily basis. They have to make sure that they're fed. They have to make sure that they know how far it is to go to work and from work or to go to the bus or from the bus. Everybody knows these things. We're not a stupid nation. You know, Gareth, Margaret Thatcher, talking about economics, economics and, and economists, Margaret Thatcher put it so well. He said, we drive on roads um, and economists drive on infrastructure. They just use words that you use every day. They make them <laughs> difficult and hard for everybody to, to, to see. So here's what I... What, what, there, there are two things. The first thing is that we need to understand that the world will not be the same. We, we can build factories again, but a lot of the things that people used to make by hand are now made by, are done by machines. Manufacturing by machines much quicker throughout the, the, the day. But there are so many other things that the fourth industrial revolution, there are so many other opportunities that it is opening up. The first one is that people are going to have more time in their hands. Look at the explosion of the, of the podcasts. People have now time, more time to listen to podcasts, to watch videos. Mm -hmm. So what are we doing to fit into that industry, into the community, into that industry? So arts and culture are an important part of building an economy. The arts and culture world, industry in the world is more than three times the size of the South African economy. So the microphones, the selfie lights, all the other things that have come out of that because the fourth industrial revolution has enabled the explosion of other things. Sport has become so big. So let's, why don't we integrate in the sage tells the, the, the Hakuna here that integrate education or sport, right? Start with, with sports academies pretty early on and they're pretty simple. Why well, I want to teach the kids, you, or you, we might have to teach them Pythagoras theorem. But when you teach him the circumference, if the kid loves soccer, why put him through the pain of microbiology? So let them, when they talk about circumference, give them a ball, cut it in half, let them measure the circumference, let them measure the perimeter of a soccer field, 
Let them see all the things, a triangle. They know what a triangle is. That's where you take the corner kick. So mm. all of those things, you know, how do you convert 18 yards to meters? Look at the mm. penalty area. Give them that. Let them learn, get their education through that stream. Now, you can't expect somebody who's never been a soccer player, who's never lived in a community where soccer is big, to dictate what education should be for those kids. My favorite chapter in, in the book um, is is the one where they talk about forms and systems of government. And this is because I studied this at university and it was always confusing, even when I had these brilliant lecturers teaching me from scratch what it all was. Hakuna says to the sage, I've heard some people say South Africa needs a left-wing government. Others say it needs to be right-wing. And the sage says, how can a bird fly with one wing? A government is not a bird, Hakuna says. Correct, the sage replied. In a democratic state, the government is a means through which people come together to shape a society that they want so that they can fly towards equality, progress, and prosperity. And in order for the flight to be successful, the country needs both wings. So you then go into a discussion between these two, which really makes it easy to understand the history of politics, certainly 18th, 19th, and 20th century politics. And I think this is so important because people have horrible misconceptions about what it means to be left and right and whether or not the one is correct or the other one is wrong. This is some of our, of our, of our, our, our national problem, right? I and mean, you do go into nationalism, nationalism as well, but it's that we are confused about what we are and we're confused about what kind of a government we want. The point is, as you quote the book, Gareth, is we we're creating a system of government so we can achieve the things we want as a country. So whether we are left or right really doesn't matter. Those are labels mm-hmm. that have actually, they are outdated. These mm-hmm. are politics. I mean, um, I sometimes struggle. I read, I've read a lot of Winston Churchill. I struggle to find, to say, was he as conservative as he, as he says he was, you know? Um, I mean, he was with Maynard Keynes at some stage, you know, they were, they were friends. So, um, and so, we, we end up buying into philosophies that are, we, we are buying into philosophies that are actually outdated. That's why we need new heroes, people who are going to think of new things. Let's make businesses thrive and let's help those who've fallen through the cracks with the clear understanding that their children should not be caught up in the trap. So we're going to give you government grants so the kids can go to school. But we want to make sure that they've got their vaccinations so they don't have polio and all of those other things that make uh, help a kid succeed. We're going to make mm. sure that food is delivered. So the aim is to create a better society. And I'm saying we should put a, let's have a line on the sand that by 2030, there'll be, we will not have a single person who lives in poverty in South Africa. As we speak, there are 30 million people who live below the poverty line, which means if they bought margarine today, won't be able to buy it for two days. So let's have a deadline. Then we can measure ourselves against that. We have a mission. If we don't have something that's driving us as a nation, we will go nowhere. History becomes easier to deal with. A friend of mine said this morning, historicity. Sorry, should you say that again? That last bit, we lost you there for a second. So a friend of mine, he said to me, he's, he's going, when we were speaking about South Africa's promise, and he was talking about, yeah, but let's 
understand how we got here. I said to him, you know, I find we need to, we're going to the future. It's the promise and not South Africa's history. That's the easy right. part, you know, because we can even debate that. But as Churchill said, when we argue about history, we miss the opportunity to create a better future. Because there's only 24 hours in a day. We're going to sleep at some stage. And we've spent that time talking about history. If it's, it's great if it's just for understanding, but instead of the future. I mean, you and I have had endless hours of talking about uh, Zulu history, for example, which is something I know is an abiding passion of yours and something which I've been interested in since I was a little child. But what do you think it is that pulls us together as people? Because we are a nation that it's difficult to define. We've had Thabo Mbeki say that we are two South Africans. We had uh, Madiba and Tutu try to convince us of the Rainbow Nation. Uh, there are parts of those two stories which I like, um, and, and there's some parts of those stories which other people, particularly a lot of young and very disenfranchised, very left out in the cold young black people don't think is true for them. They don't think they belong to any of that. Now, if we're going to forge a nation and if we're going to reforge a nation, if we're going to have any future ahead of us, we need to know what we're about. Um, and part of what you say in, in, you know, citizen service is like we have to be loyal to something. And you think that thing is the Constitution. So the days of nationhood, Gareth, are actually over. Mm, uh, it made sense back then when you, it was, the, you know, you know, it's not, it was not even the United Kingdom, England, and everybody, you know, and the British Empire, which was basically run by the English and everybody else, the, 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 the Scots. I mean, uh, Winston Churchill talks about it quite a lot in his book, My African Journey, about how they're feeling that they're poor and they're not part of this great empire. So the, those days are over. You know, in 1900, we had the first Pan-African conference where Africans from the diaspora met in London and decided the future. Or not decided, well, they decided that what was the problem of their time, 1900. And they decided that the color line, as they defined it, or racism, as we call it today, was the problem. And in order to solve the problem of racism, we needed independence from the, from the, from the colonial powers, which we can safely say they achieved, they achieved their vision or their mission in 1994 when South Africa became liberated. And what I asked students, I asked students at, at, at Wirtz Business School, I said, you can't say your problem a hundred years, 120 years later is the same as your great grandparents of racism. You need to decide or define for yourself what is the problem that we're facing today as Africa and how the country, or how South Africa in particular, is going to look like in 2121, in the year 2121. What I'm trying to, to, to inspire people to think about is how is South Africa and probably the whole continent of Africa is going to look like a thousand years from today. I think to create a wealthy nation, for lack of a better term right now, but what is a nation? As you asked me, how do we define it? You and I are both South Africans. You're white, I'm black. Does it make us different people? We came in the same passport. We're in the same country. We are sticking the, to the definitions that were made before we were born. Mm-hmm. I asked a lot of some youngsters, who is South African? And they said, somebody whose grandparents were born here, 
I said, your parents, your grandparents weren't born in South Africa because South Africa was promulgated in 1961, I think. I can't remember the exact date. So my parents weren't born in South Africa. It's a mm-hmm. new country. These are the difficult, well, actually not the difficult things. These are the easy and clear and open truths that we must embrace. Because we, who decide who is South African, who was not, is based on systems that no longer exist. You, you say in one of the chapters, again, I'm going to quote from the book, the leader must use language that heals and builds, um, as opposed to the demagogue, which you discuss in the chapter before, where you say the demagogue uses a, a, a crack in the society to exploit differences between us. Um, and this is something we feel so acutely these days in South Africa. We see it with, with the, polit- you know, the politicians. We see it in, in uh, employment and unemployment. We see it in rich and poor. We see it in languages and divisions along language. Um, you say leaders should use social media, and this is where you talk about the tools that, that modernity gives us in order to bring us together rather than separate us. You say leaders should use social media to advance human dignity rather than to engage in gratuitous publicity. Do you think that's possible? Uh, the, the better, the better angels of our nature, so to speak. It is possible, but the leaders must fight for it, Gareth. You know, Gary Kasparov actually put it so well in his book. He talks about, um, the guys who are excellent challengers, but lousy lead, uh, uh, lousy champions. Uh, you know, Muhammad Ali was a boxing champion. We had Larry Holmes, great challenger. He was gone. Um, Mike Tyson, an amazing roughneck, beating people up, but he was gone. There's still one Muhammad Ali. And South Africa has had the same thing. Uh, I think Zuma was, an, was, was a good challenger for Tabumbegi, but was he a good champion? I think President Cyril Ramaphosa was a great challenger for Zuma. Is he a great champion? Mm-hmm. And that's what we see. So that, that crossover that we saw with Nelson Mandela and to a large extent with President Tabumbegi of being, of moving from being the activist to being the statesman. Mm. Very few people can cross the chasm. Very, very few in the world. Um, and that's what we need to cultivate. A leader cultivates those people who understand that when you're the challenger, the day you, you get the throne, you behave very differently to, to when you're the, you're the champion. And what South Africa needs right now are not the people who are putting, who put dynamites in the cracks, but people who build a country. And that is a difficult skill, extremely difficult skill. Muzi, you stress quite a lot through the, the, the story of, of the sage telling Hakuna what to do and how, she, how he sees her answering her own questions, but he guides her to the right answers as any good sage should do. You, you stress the importance of communication and you are, you're, you're an expert in communication. This is your field. Uh, this is also something which you, you say is available to all of us. And unlike the skill that you mentioned for a true leader, in order to, to become a statesman, in order to go from challenger, um, how do, how do we become better at communicating? Because we do have 11 official languages and we do have complexities and we do have thousands of people, uh, who are, who are trying actively to exploit the differences between us. Um, communication is important, but, but what communication is missing and what communication can we do without? Well, firstly, 
we need to listen to each other. You know, we just started a campaign called Masizwane campaign. Masizwane is a Zulu word for let's listen to each other, but it also means let's Mm -hmm. understand one another. So that's the first thing that we need to do. Listen to one another. Listen to what are the challenges that people are are, are facing. So one of the problems that South Africa is facing is that look at the last election. The ANC won the election with 10.5 million votes but there are 15 million people who never voted. Yeah. So, and we're doing research. Why have these people not voted? It's because none of the things that are being discussed in the media, in the newspapers, on social media, pertain to what they want. The young people, they want to have a great life. They're excited about life. And all they hear about is doom and gloom. So, mm. and that transcends the language that you speak. Because communication is more than just words. I mean, people who are deaf, who are able to communicate. So it is much more than that. And that's what a good communicator does. He finds what is common. And what is common among South Africans right now is what people want, particularly the young people, is they want something that they can aspire to. They say they want to leave, leave a legacy. I keep saying, you've hardly lived yet you want to leave a legacy. But that's what they want because, you know, that's, that's the things that they desire. And that is what all young people, regardless of race or sex, that's what they want. And not that the, the, their neighbor should be in trouble. That's not what they wish for. They don't want people to leave the country. They want to succeed in their own country. And yeah, we are, we, we've seen a, a huge number of very talented black and white youngsters leaving South Africa because they don't believe that there's a place where they can forge a legacy here. So how do I, we I make this happen? Uh, sorry, go ahead. No, I, I was speaking to uh, a young lady from, from Bloemfontein, from Mangaung. Mm. She, she was on COVID and we're coordinating the response between the Belgian government and the European Union. Makachain, I call her. So, We've lost this great talent. And we're still battling with COVID. And other countries still battling, but not as badly as we are. So we are losing these people whom we've trained, whom we've educated with our subsidies. And I've known her since she was a student. We should stop the bleed. We should make everyone, I mean, the more people we have, the more minds you have, the greater are the chances of creating opportunities for everybody. So how do we how do we make this happen, Muzi? Your, your book is a is a starting point. I I know you didn't write it to be the the everything. And while it is a very useful and practical guide and a beautiful story, it 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 is not all that is required. And I know that you're going to say something like it's it's required that all of us participate. But you know, there's also a lot of lethargy and apathy, and there are many people in this country who would be happy to see things continue as they are. Oh, yeah, there are people who make a lot of money in this situation, in this confusion, um, and they mm-hmm. want to see the situation uh, continue. And also, if things get better, then they lose their relevance. Uh, some politicians, that is the problem. But we've got to be active citizens. We've got to participate in our own success. It will not come like a Christmas gift. Um, we've got to stand up and do what we have to do to be successful, for our children to be successful. You know... Gareth, I went to Iran and I was mortified to discover that Iran was one of the main, well, I should have known, it was part of, it was Persia, a great yes. empire 
that invented the post office. Yes. And the next biggest country was Somalia. Look at where Somalia is today. Look at where Somalis mm. are. They're everywhere. If we don't do this, if we don't change things, like we see a lot of Zimbabweans in South Africa, we're going to see a lot of South Africans leaving the country. In fact, the last time I looked at the numbers at our economy, I realized that the economy of Pakistan was now doing better than South Africa, which means wow. it's probably better for us to leave and open spaza shops in Pakistan. We've got to Correct. stop that now. Yeah, Muzi, this this book is great. I really can't um, endorse it enough. I think everybody should make sure that they grab it. It's free for heaven's sake. There's no excuse. You can get the book for free. And you know, Gareth, the reason why I decided the book has to be free, um, and I mustn't tell the story very much too loudly because my mother would be my aunt. Uh, my mother passed away. Yes. So years ago, I would change. I changed from lower primary school to high school. Were to change uniform, you know. I went to a Catholic school, and the shirt was uh, the whites were gray and white. And um, during the week, from Tuesdays to Thursdays at the high school, we had to wear khakis, and I didn't have any khakis. And I got beaten up. That I mean, they'd given us a week's grace, and I kind of forgotten about it, and I got beaten up. And so I told my grandmother, hey, you know, I got beaten up for not having wearing uniform. And then she asked my umawe or my aunt to say, please, can you give him six rand so he can go and buy a uniform? She gave me six rand. And I went and bought the shirt and the, and, and the pants at Pep. And then I had to buy an English dictionary. It was nine rand fifty. So, and I realized that I don't want a kid or anybody to ever have to choose between buying a book and, and buying bread or uniform. Mm-hmm. And, if I can give the books away for free, which now with internet, with fourth industrial revolution is so easy. I don't have to go through the stores, give the book away so people can get the knowledge uh, and not have to choose between food and a book. And that's, that's why the book is free. You, know? you, you can, you can download the book for free at southafricaspromise.org. That's southafricaspromise.org.za. And it is free, as Muzi says. Um, you just, you put in your email address, you get a link, you download the book and you can read it in, in a day or two. It's, it's easy for anyone to read. It can be read to someone if they aren't able to. And it is available on the internet right now. So there's no reason why you shouldn't have a look at this at very least or let your kids have a look at it. South Africa's promise dot org dot za is the address again. I'll give it to you. That's what it looks like and you can download it and it's available. For free online. Muzi Kuzwaya, it's always good to see you and congratulations on, on this, the, the, the first and what I think are going to be many steps that, uh, that help us out of the mire. And, and you, you really are a, a gent to, to think about all of this while you, um, you potentially could be making, you know, millions of rands and advertising agencies all over the world. Instead, I know your heart's in the right place. Fantastic. Thank you so much, Gareth. Thank you for the opportunity. Thank you. Yes. Muzi Kuzwaya. Cliffcentral.com.